podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. Welcome to Run With It, the show that brings you untapped business ideas from successful entrepreneurs. My name is Chris Justin, and I'm here with Ethan Jenny. Ethan, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. I am going to help co-host a a summit for decentralized finance in a week. So I don't know when this airs, it'll probably have already happened, but it's kind of fun. You're going off the deep end into the crypto world, man. Every time I talk to you, it's more and more. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually going to digitize myself and, and um, rid myself of this mortal body. <laughs> and I'm just going to go completely digital as a crypto representation of Ethan. I'm picturing the Banksy painting, right? (laughs) And then burn the real thing. (laughs) Burn the real thing, man. Ready to go. Well, uh, actually, we're going to talk about something today, which we we don't need to burn. I think it'll probably be a pretty cool idea. We're talking with Lillian Rafson today. She's the founder and CEO of Pack Up and Go. Uh, She launched a business at 23 years old. Pretty impressive. Um, and also grew it to a multi-million dollar business, which makes that even that much more impressive. And uh, this is a really cool travel agency. She started plans getaways for you that are a surprise to you. <laughs> so part of the package is that you have the fun of not knowing what's going to happen next. Lillian, you don't know this, but you were actually mentioned on the podcast several weeks ago. Because when I reached out to you, I was mentioning how excited we were to talk with you as a fellow Yinzer. And this idea is one that that I love, someone who loves to travel. But as repeat listeners know, this show is about new business ideas. You are bringing one to us in the travel industry, specifically focused on adults who have a mobility, vision, or hearing disability, helping them find accommodations that are better suited for their needs. This is one that sounds like it stemmed from some experiences that you've had at Pack Up and Go. So tell us a little bit about the circumstances that made you come up with this idea. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to make my formal debut on the podcast. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Um, And yeah, so I I own a travel agency um, and we we plan these getaways all around the country for travelers either flying or driving to their destination. And what we realized is that we We've had a number of travelers who use wheelchairs and in, in planning their getaways, we discovered that it's it's really, really challenging to plan amazing vacations for travelers who use wheelchairs or who have limited sight or hearing. And I, I should preface this whole conversation by saying that I am an outsider to this community. I am able-bodied. I am just coming at this from the perspective of a travel agent. So, you know, I I apologize if I mess up any any terminology. I am still learning a lot about, about these needs. But increasingly, we are realizing that this is a completely underserved market. And what I realized from the travel planning perspective is, you know, there are ADA compliant hotel rooms, but in all Marriott properties, it is a request only, uh, you know, ADA compliant rooms are not always guaranteed. They're not always actually up to code. And what's even more frustrating is they're usually the most basic room types. And so this idea came to me a couple of months ago I was planning a vacation for, for a couple where one member of the couple 
was a wheelchair user and the other was not. And it was their honeymoon. And they, you know, specifically said, we would love to stay in a really, really amazing hotel room. And so I thought, awesome, let's, let's do it. Let's find the coolest hotel room possible and make this really special. And when we were making the reservations, we realized only the most basic room types were accessible. And, and I thought, what a disappointment and how unfair is that? It makes it feel like trying to fit a square into a circle for no reason. And beyond that, the, the travel planning process is so complicated for, for every step of the way, you know, making dinner reservations and calling to make sure that the bathrooms, for example, are on the main floor of the of the restaurant. We've had instances where we've called a hotel and they say, well, yeah, the, the dining room is wheelchair accessible, but it's a historic building and the bathrooms are in the basement and there's no there's no elevator. And so it's just every single step of the process is so complicated. So I love the idea that one step of the process could be amazing. Yeah. What I'm struck as you're describing that as a, a brief tangent is what you are experiencing there as you were trying to set that up is everyday life for this couple. That's exactly. if they want to go out to dinner, if they want to go to the movies or get a hotel that they have to deal with that all the time. You're taking it on for one weekend and, and it sounds really onerous to do that. We're not going to fix all of that, of course, with this idea, but I do think that it is, it's the right thing to do to try and address that in, in some small way. So yeah, I love this idea that you brought to oh, us. It's, I, I can't even, I, I, again, I'm coming to this idea from a complete outsider perspective and it, it made me realize just that, every single step of the process is so challenging and so complicated. And you're right, this is everyday life. This isn't just about vacation. And looking at the numbers, this is technically a niche market, but this is a huge, huge market. So it is, of course, the right thing to do. But I also can't believe that nobody's done this yet. <laughs> yeah, speaking to those numbers, 15 million adults in the United States have a mobility, vision, or hearing disability. Sizable percentage of the population. It's huge. And people travel multiple times. So, you know, a family who has one child who uses a wheelchair or, you know, any traveler who, who uses a wheelchair might want to go on multiple vacations per year. So this you're setting yourself up for a repeat customer if you can provide a really exceptional service and truly solve the problem. Yeah, I would think a very sticky customer too, because that if you can address that and they know that it's going to work with you, then they're going to trust you with every future trip. Exactly. And what we have found even is that the referral network within this community is, is pretty strong because, again, this is a lot of work to do research for, for these trips. And so we are really fortunate and I'm really proud of my team that we have secured a lot of referrals from travelers who fall into this demographic who are referring their friends and family as well. I think it's a good time to bring in some of the alternative approaches to solving this problem, uh, just to you know get our juices flowing as we're talking about the idea. One is a tool called Acomable. I believe that's the the way to pronounce it. This this site, first off, I should say it was purchased by Airbnb, so you can no longer go directly there. They've absorbed it into the platform. But Accomable used to be a standalone platform that helped disabled people find accessible rentals and hotels. Purchased again by Airbnb for an undisclosed sum. They had a team of seven based in London. The CEO moved to San Francisco and was tasked with incorporating the, the features of Accomable into Airbnb. Now, when you search on Airbnb, one of the prominent filters available there are accessibility needs. 
And if you open that up, you can see things uh, broken into different sections, like entering the place, a step-free entrance to the room, step-free path to the outdoor entrance, wide entrance for guests, disabled parking spot. And that's broken down for bedroom and bathroom, fixed grab bars for the toilet, for example. So they do have some additional functionality built into Airbnb. And I guess I'm not sure how you, I don't know if I'm putting you on the spot by asking this, but why, why isn't that enough in terms of, uh, let's say if you're planning a trip and pack up and go, you describe one use case in which they really, they wanted a very nice hotel, which they should absolutely be able to do. But are there, I guess, what percentage of needs you think are solved by this system that Airbnb has? Yeah, I think that's that's a really great point. So again, my idea, I don't know if I gave the formal pitch. My, my formal pitch is building a brand of beautifully designed boutique hotels that are specially designed for travelers who use wheelchairs, who have limited vision or limited hearing. And so again, companies like that are amazing. And they're a really important step in you know making sure that, that there's access to this, this resource, no matter where you want to stay. But it's still coming at it from, from the wrong angle in my perspective. It, it's coming at, okay, here's this existing inventory. Some of this could work for you, but what if you flip that on its head? And so you, you compile the team of people you would have an architect or designer who is ideally part of this community. You have staff at this hotel who are members of this community. Every step of the way, this is front and center. This is the, the main reason that these boutique hotels exist. So it's not just, oh, we have one room that, that fits your needs and we check those boxes. This is a beautifully designed hotel that is designed around these needs, around you know making sure that every single room has the capacity to best serve these travelers, not just this could work for you, but this is made for you. And what we find is that, you know, obviously people who have these, have these needs when they travel are not a monolith. You know, they're traveling in different capacities. Sometimes all members of the group have the same mobility. Other times it is one member of a couple or one member of a family. You know, it, it's all different types of arrangements. And so my vision is beautiful design that is aesthetic and, you know, on trend and really design centric, but is not exclusionary to anybody who is able-bodied or otherwise. So, you know, there's no reason that, you know, even thinking about mirror placement in a hotel, imagine if rather than having to, you know, have a room where a mirror might be a little bit lower. What if a whole, there was a really cool wall in the bathroom that was a mirror for everyone. You know, I think that there's a way to approach the design with this traveler's needs front and center. And that's what I'm imagining. And imagining, you know, a front desk staff that is really well equipped to handle these travelers and has connections to restaurants that serve their needs or car services that serve their needs and really creating an ecosystem around it in the same experience that you would get at a boutique hotel if you were able-bodied. I'll call out a couple a couple interesting asides here. I mean, we actually have a Run With It episode uh, featuring Garrett Diamond, um, an interesting entrepreneur. He, he talked about domain name helping software. That was the, the topic of the episode, but he kind of was inspired by it because he's an amputee and he gave the example that he was looking for a domain name for a website that he was going to build for amputees, you know, to 
I think it was to help connect them with resources that could allow them to continue to engage in the sports activities that they wanted to, you know? Um, and so one thing that I'm realizing and, and I could share, I've got a real, a lot of really great examples. You could potentially reach out to folks that, you know, have, uh, achieved quite a bit despite a particular disability that might be a champion of these type of projects and they'd be more than willing to kind of come on board be a part of it be excited about it if they have any funding available or an, some type of investor they might be interested in providing that to be a part of the project um, so what i love about it is if you do it right and you communicate properly with the community that you want to serve um, it can be fun and engaging for everyone that wants to co-create it. Exactly. Totally right. I think it could be an amazing opportunity for uh, for a community to come together. And again, as somebody who's not a member of this community, but have worked pretty extensively in the travel planning industry, there's so much room for education for travel planners and travel advisors also. And so knowing that there was a trusted hotel brand uh, that was created by the community for the community would you know, put my mind at ease as a travel advisor that I'm setting my travelers up for success. And I, I love the idea of this brand, you know, starting in some key markets in the US and then it can expand internationally because, you know, thinking about how many bumps there are on the road for tra travel planning just within the US, I can't even imagine to, to recreate that process internationally. Um, and so I think having that, that trusted network overseas also would be so incredible. I'll call a few other individuals that might be interesting to get involved. Folks, I've kind of had some personal contact with even. There's a fellow named Sean Enton. He calls himself the stroke hacker. Um, he had a, a martial arts accident where he got a blood clot due to to a martial arts incident and then was in the hospital eventually basically had a stroke and suffered a lot of disabilities. He thought he might not ever, you know, speak again. Right. And, but he's also a biohacker and he's got his own biohacking facility at his home. Um, and he's very excited uh, about achieving things, no matter what obstacles life has brought him. His mantra is, I can, I shall, I will. Um, there's another fellow I know of, Sam Morris, a very athletic guy. I think he did like a cross country bike trip, you know, just a year or two before he got in some sort of accident, a car accident um, caused by another individual in which he became disabled from the waist down. But also, right, inspired to continue to achieve. And he's an expert in. Uh, holotropic breath work and and has taken that on really to become a champion to help other people work through any issues that they have and discover what kind of abilities they have. Okay, I want to I want to start thinking about how the economics of this could work and and some of the action steps that folks could take to to actually make this idea come to fruition. One of the first challenges that comes to mind to me is whether the community is large enough to support a hotel chain, uh, to be frank, because a hotel like, I don't know, the Hilton probably has hundreds of rooms. I'm thinking in New York City, if you had this going on, you'd have a, a chance to fill the rooms every night uh, with you know vision impaired and mobility impaired folks. But I don't know. It, it, I mean, does the math work out that way? Do you think that, do we think that maybe it's ADA focused, but 90% of the clientele are still fully able and how does that, how does that work out? Well, okay. To your earlier point, we know that 15 million Americans fall 
into this community. But those are 15 million people who have friends or family or partners or travel companions who are maybe not members of this community, but who are traveling with them. So that number is actually much, much larger. I do think to start, these would be boutique-sized hotels, maybe 20 to 50 rooms, and starting in major markets or in major convention markets where you know that there's a constant stream of, of professionals coming through. Um, I definitely think that the occupancy rates would be pretty high. I also think that there's a lot of room for ancillary revenue and upsell here. You know, if you had a an airport transfer service, if you had tours and activities available for guests, um, if you had you know different activities that that guests could opt into, I think there's a lot of room for for growth there. Like with any business idea, you can start with people who have more means economically, um, not necessarily to discriminate against those who don't, but because they might be more likely to provide the funding to get things started. And they might be willing to pay a higher price point um, and suffer, suffer through some of the difficulties that any startup has, right? Like <laughs> there's a certain audience that's excited to be a part of something new um, and they're willing to t tolerate some bumps along the road in co-creating it. So I think if you could focus on people who might have had the means to get started and then, um, you know, focus on either the issues that they're dealing with it personally or if they're open to it, just their, you know, get their feedback and their opinions on how we can approach this. Like what issues can we start dealing with first? You know, what audience should we start targeting first? Maybe there's a certain, just like with any startup, there's a certain audience that may be a little bit easier to start with. Um, maybe it's a larger audience, or maybe it's one that you target that the cost of having the problem is higher. And so the more willing to spend to compensate for it um, and things like that. So I think I think those are good places to start in building this. I, I do also think one challenge for, well, there's a, many challenges for this business, but one I think is you can't be something for everyone. And so really figuring out exactly what problems we wanna solve here and, and making sure that we're doing those really, really well and maybe expanding into other offerings in future properties, things like that. Another challenge that I think would be hard, especially in a market like New York, is the construction. In, in, in a, an ideal scenario, I imagine this being a new construction, new build, where you can start from scratch and make sure every single aspect of the architecture uh, is really, really thoughtfully designed and, and exactly what it needs to be, which of course is going to be harder in a, in a denser city where you have to work with existing structures and, um, and you know, maybe complete demo inside and rebuilding from scratch. But that I think would be, would be a big challenge in a market like New York. Speaking to those, uh, to that point, I looked up the average cost of building a hotel. You guys have any idea of the ballpark here? <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's done. Hotel, yeah. <laughs> it's done on a, a typically priced on a per room or broken out into a per room number. And I'm seeing between 115000 and $1.5 million per room. Without diving into it too much, I would guess it's, it's, on the higher side to uh, build something that is uh, incorporating all the changes that we would want for this, this uh, idea. So thinking about that, this is one of the more expensive business ideas that we have shared on the podcast. Not, not do it's very much doable, but so how would I fund that? Uh, one, you could get funding from VCs. Uh, but two, I was also thinking people in this demographic, I would imagine, would be 
so excited to have a good option that's completely catered for them and they'd be willing to pay for it in advance. If you said, hey, we're going to open Christmas or New Year's Eve 2022 and we're going to you know, blow it out. It's going to be, this is exactly what we're going to have. People would travel and pick their destination, I think, for an experience like this. I would, I would also think you could uh, try to partner with maybe a research institution like MIT or something like that. You know, it's, it's relatively often, especially maybe within the robotics department or the um, prosthetics department of an institution like MIT, uh, where they're just coming up with and testing cool ways to help people, right? Um, developing new products. And what if your hotel could be the test ground, right? For those projects. Totally. I've just noticed in an ancillary way, an institution like MIT, that's also part of their strong points. They're not, they're pretty good with press, right? They're pretty good at saying, Hey, look what our student did. Isn't this cool? And so that it would also be a bonus of engaging with them that you could get some attention for what's going on. I would think that this idea in itself would generate a ton of press, a ton of free marketing and Lillian, maybe you can, maybe you can speak to that a little bit from your experience with pack up and go. It looks like you've gotten quite a bit of media coverage. Definitely. And I, I think to Ethan's earlier point about, you know, these really prominent members of the community, I, there are a number of travel influencers who are wheelchair users or who, um, you know, um, have visual impairments. There, There is a really big influencer market for this. And again, it's a community that I, I my, from my basic understanding, it's a really engaged community. And so, you know, I think partnering with some of those key influencers or, um, or members of the community, I think would, would really do well. Yeah, this goes back to another previous episode that we had, I don't have the number offhand, starting a, like a marketing agency for influencers, for people of color. Uh, that was something that we talked about previously. And a question does come up here in this situation, who starts it? Does it not make sense for one of us to start it or someone that doesn't experience some of these issues? And does an, an audience member that does experience an issue a better person to start it? Or is it something that, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter? Maybe there's just partnerships involved. Oh, I'll be the first to admit that I am not the best person to start this. <laughs> I, you know, again, I have just dipped my toes from an outside perspective. I would love to partner with somebody who does start this, who is a member of this community and who has more relevant hotel experience. I would love to be a liaison for travel advisors. Um, I would love to be involved in some capacity. I am more than happy to, to lend any expertise I can, but I am fully aware that I am not the best person to start this business. Or if I were to start it, I would just be one of many partners. Another random action step that comes to mind to me is to look at government incentives to help advance causes like this, help like solve problems for people with disabilities. It looks like there are a combination of tax incentives, tax deductions, or you can take grants even. So yeah, there are resources out there to help kickstart something like this. I, I'm just curious, like, like ch changing the topic a little bit. Well, first of all, I'm not sure there's a way to integrate it. I guess we touched upon it a little bit. I want to hear a little bit more about surprise, <laughs> surprise <laughs> vacations. I've I've planned a couple um, for my my you know used to be girlfriend now now uh, long term partner, and it's been cool being the planner of it and seeing how exciting it is for people. And uh, I'm just I'm just curious uh, 
Is there a special appeal for this for the audience that we're talking about building another business for? And just in general, um, anything interesting to share about how, how it's working and what kind of fun people yeah. are having? Totally. Well, okay, so you're a great example. You have planned a lot of surprise vacations for your partner, but you were never surprised also. She, well, I was inspired by her interest in surprising. So it's it's a thing that I discovered in this relationship, this idea of, uh, I think it started just by the way, I think it started with a story that I don't know whether it was a hint, hint, but it was like, oh, I have a friend and isn't this so cool? You know, her boyfriend showed up, you know, at work. I said like, you know, take tomorrow off, pack your bags and show up here and you don't know where you're going to go. And then they went on this thing. And I was like, oh, okay. So that's fun. And so I tried it and it was cool. But yeah, and she's done stuff like that for me, fun surprises. And some people are into that kind of thing. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. But yeah, so with Pack Up and Go, every member of the, the travel group is surprised. So, you know, we have a lot of couples tell us the only time that we've both been surprised is when our child was born and we found out it's sex. You know, so I think it's it's a really fun sort of childlike surprise. And and even just seeing, you know, my parents have gone on a trip and I went over to their house to watch them open their envelope the morning of their trip to reveal where they were going and just watching them like, giddy with excitement and hearing them guess where they're going and, and, you know, just sort of peeking over each other's shoulders as they open this envelope. It's a really, really fun energy. And and I like to say that there's sort of two layers to the surprise where a lot of travelers sign up because they think, oh, that'd be so fun to have no idea where I'm going. Why not? That sounds great. And then they open their envelope and they have that first surprise of their destination. And then the second surprise is realizing it's so nice to go on a vacation when you don't have to plan anything. <laughs> you know, we've taken care of all of it for you. So we book your hotel, your, your travel arrangements, we make dinner reservations, uh, and we give all of our travelers a really comprehensive itinerary for things to do in their destination. So you can follow it as, as closely or as not closely as you want. But some of our travelers say like, I didn't realize how stress-free a vacation could be in addition to having a lot of fun with the surprise. So, so, I mean, we talk, uh, this comes up quite a bit cause we talk about starting businesses about how you need to like find your market for your business. And sometimes like your first idea isn't the right idea. Um, the, the sort of short and simple story of all this is like, Oh, wouldn't this be a cool idea? We could make surprise vacations. And then it's like <laughs> a multi-million dollar business. Did you really have the idea and just and, and think that it could work and then it just was about building it or did it kind of get modified from other ideas until you centered upon this was like going to be a good business idea? Oh, no, it was the first. So I, I will also say that um, I cannot take complete credit for the idea. I had been working in New York quit my job to travel was backpacking around Eastern Europe and I first heard about the concept in Eastern Europe. So it already existed in Europe, but it wasn't in the States at all. And so that was my first light bulb moment. And I was in Riga, Latvia when I, when I first heard about it. And I thought, why have I been to Riga, Latvia? And I've never been to Denver, Colorado, or basically anywhere in the South. Like, I'd been so few places in the US. And so those sort of came together and I emailed my parents and I said, I'm moving back to Pittsburgh and I'm going to start a surprise travel agency. And I moved home and I Googled how to become a travel agent. And it really did take off super quickly. You know, I'm very fortunate that it has no overhead, unlike starting a boutique hotel. Uh, it is a, a super easy business to get off the ground uh, with virtually no overhead. So that was super lucky. But I also knew that, you know, if this was an idea that I was really excited about, it would be an idea that other people were really excited about too. It, it just felt so straightforward and and so simple and just immediately grabbed my attention. And I think that's that's what it's proven to do. 
And on the theme of the podcast and the idea, what are your disabilities? <laughs> where do you need help? You know, where have you find that you fall short and you need to call in help from other people or have something, you know, be especially uh, tailored to work the way you work? Oh, that is a great question. I, well, I'm sure you should also ask my team that question because I, I feel like they would call <laughs> out, uh, you know, different qualities than I will. I started the business when I was 23. And so I did not have a lot or any really management experience. And I am really good at thinking about the nitty gritty and being really hands-on. Um, the big picture strategy, I'll be the first to admit, is not my strong suit. I, I think managing people has a big learning curve that I am still in. But I have a lot of a lot of mentors and a lot of people who I ask for help all the time. <laughs> a strength of mine is that I'm not afraid to ask for help. That's a hard strength. <laughs> a lot of people don't have that. <laughs> what would you say yours are? Mine? Oh, man, they change every day. Um, <laughs> thinking that I know what my strengths and weaknesses are. <laughs> I think mine has been, I can't always actually really on, on that topic, I can't always tell what I'm good at or knowledgeable at versus what I'm not. Like it's, it's really hard. Like I was just me meeting with some friends um, in a writing group and I shared this press release with them that I wrote up. And um, after I read the press release, which is, it was an okay press release, but I asked them for critical feedback. There was like, this is way too wordy and complicated and you know, it's just too much, right? Too much information. Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, I guess that makes sense. But I was in my mind, I was thinking, I always get, I always struggle with like um, simplifying enough to reach a larger audience and be understood, but also being willing and knowing when to communicate with technical knowledge and specialized vocabulary so that people don't go like, what kind of idiot are you the way you're talking, you know? <laughs> so I, I, that's been something that has been, I think, a challenge for me is just kind of knowing the balance between that and having a self-awareness around, you know, what I'm good at, what I'm not, and how to communicate that. Chris, it's your turn. One of the things that I have been really working on is just failing more. That's something that I, I grew up as a perfectionist. That's why Chris and I work well together. I'm, I'm, will, I'm a failure. <laughs> and I got to inspire and him. <laughs> yeah, and, and be okay with it and realize that you can bounce back and, and improve things much quicker if you fail than trying to make something perfect the first time. So that's still something that I've been working on. I've been working on it for years. I've gotten a lot better at it, but it's something that I see holding me back still. Yeah, case in point for our, for our podcast, Chris and I have realized, or I've realized at least, I don't know if Chris has me piece dense to it, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, the ways that we complement each other, you know, um, I'm kind of a little bit more free form, not always, uh, you know, don't have the list in front of me all the time, a little bit more improvisational, and he's more structured and organizational and, you know, has things in place, you know, the way that he wants them to be. And uh, there's, those are the, I've mentioned them in the positive, right? Mm -hmm. But we've also just mentioned where those can be in negative, right? So it's good to work with other people and, and be, have some awareness around how you need to fit in with your, with your group. And those things can change in different contexts. Like I've noticed even I can be the organizational person in a different community, right? Yeah, it's all relative to, to who you're working with, right? Yeah. I have always been the, the planner in my social group. And then I met my wife 
And she was like way beyond me, you know, she needs to know the route from the airport to the hotel room three weeks in advance. And I like that's, that's so now she does all the planning for us. It's 273 steps from the <laughs> exactly, exactly. Cool. We've, we've talked about your business a little bit, but maybe you should tell people Lillian where people can find out more about you, yeah. you know, links to visit social to follow, whatever you think is good. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Pack Up and Go's website is packupgo.com. We're on social at packupgo underscore travel. Uh, and it's really fun. You can see a lot of travelers discovering their destination, a lot of fun traveler pics, uh, and, and learning more about their experiences. By the way, Chris just cringed a little bit because he usually asked the guest uh, what their social links are, <laughs> and we threw him off a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lillian. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking with you. To the listener who is enamored with this idea, please take it and run with it. I think I will speak for you, Lillian, that Lillian would be excited to hear if you were to take on this idea because that would complement your services very well. And yeah, please let us know what you think about it. Email us at update at runwithit.fm and we'll be happy to potentially feature you on the uh, on the podcast we have a hundredth episode coming up soon so maybe we'll do something fun for that yeah and don't forget to find us on itunes subscribe and leave a review tell your friends and you know reach out to that update at run with it email just to tell us what's going on we want to connect with you lillian thank you very much for the conversation looking forward to connecting again down the line thanks for having me The podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash run, that's R-U-N, and get 15% off your first year.